You see, people collect all kinds of things. New, old, priceless, worthless. Darling, it doesn't matter what. I simply must know why. Those mothballs shouldn't get to keep all the secrets. This is the Mothball Prophecies. This treasure we were speaking about with like, um, it was in the Estates I Walk Through where I brought up the pirate Bellamy. Oh, Samuel yes. Bellamy. Sam Bellamy. And it leads into the same kind of thing. So we have the slave trade that's actively happening with Spain and mm-hmm. bringing African slaves and indigenous slaves to different parts of the world for their ransacking bullshit. Yeah. And this ship, the... The Witta. The Witta. I want to say it phonetically. Yeah. It is a weird looking word. Mm-hmm. It is spelled uh, W-H-Y-D-E-A-H. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Witta. Just pretend it's not. Just don't look at it. Thank you. Okay, I won't. I'm just going to blank out and Gray can edit your voice into when I say it. Widow. Um, it had a it, so this had a dark past before it was captured by pirates mm-hmm. by Samuel Bellamy, and it was originally a merchant slaver used within the triangular trade and the Middle Passage. Right. Mm-hmm. So the slave ship left Jamaica en route to London in late February, early March, 1717. Now this is important because it talks about how long Samuel Bellamy actually had this ship in his possession Mm -hmm. and they were led by none other than mr bellamy he probably wouldn't like that black bellamy was his pirate name and the ships was soon so the pirate crew like took over the ship in march of 1770 yep there was a mutiny a mutiny and they loaded up to plunder as they made their way across the seas Mm -hmm. in addition to weaponry and other valuables the most intriguing facet aboard was the rumored twenty thousand pounds of gold and silver it's n- not pounds as in like English sterling. She's meaning pounds as in like the weight, the weight, the weight of it all. Yeah. So Bellamy, he commands the ship, but it was really short lived because it sank the 26th of April, 1717 after storms, uh, storm winds pushed it into the shoals of Cape Cod. Hmm. The resort town of Cape Cod. What a weird place to shipwreck. Yeah. And there were only a handful of survivors that were left, and they were all taken ashore and faced trial and were executed in Boston. Sounds about right. Mm-hmm. But immediately following the wreck, Cape Cod locals plundered the ship's valuables. Mm, they yes. went, they pirated themselves. Oh. Ransacked that ship. Pirate inception. Mm-hmm. Cyprian Southhack. A cartographer was hired to note the location of the shipwreck and gather treasures for the crown. Because now we're in British territory. Oh, the colonies. The colonies. Uh, And the crown was like, give me that money. Get the shit. Bitch, better have my money. That's where the inspiration that Rihanna took (laughs) came from. The original swag. The OG swag. Um, It gathered treasures for the crown. And there's more accounts of like pirates and stuff. And it comes from a priest, Cotton Mathers. Cotton Mather? Are you fucking kidding me? Well, who is it? Spelch? I don't know who that is. I don't know if you're being sarcastic. I'm very, the much sarcasm. Oh. Both Gray and I are, it's not in my Rolodex. Who is it? I I do not know who the fuck that is. Salem Witch Trials, dude. Oh. Cotton Mather of the Salem Witch Trials who fucking like got so many people murdered. Holy shit. Okay, that one. Yeah, fuck him. Okay. Bastard. The bad priest. Well, he wasn't really a priest because he was. Oh, he was visiting the men in jail to provide them salvation. 
I wonder, it can't have been the same Cotton Mather. Yeah. Oh my God, it must have been because they were in Massachusetts. Holy shit. Yeah. My brain is fucking exploding. Yeah. He was trying to give them like some salvation. I think he was probably just trying to get something. Yeah. However, it was never confirmed whether or not the large bounty of treasure that the pirates gloated about truly existed. So he's going for salvation, hoping for riches. Yeah, definitely. He was a con man. He was absolutely that kind of Mm -hmm. person. So one, okay, once six out of the seven surviving pirates were sentenced to death and executed in Boston, Mm -hmm. the, say the ship's name. The widow. I can't do it. Remained buried under 30 feet of water for over 250 years. The funny way of saying that. Buried under 30 feet of water. Mm-hmm. I imagine it like jello. Like yeah. it's like <laughs> one of those like, you know, those gel candles from the 90s. Oh, like, yeah. The white is just, hey, guys, I have treasure. There's always like, like some little toddler sparkles and putting stuff putting their in finger it. in the gel. I say toddlers if I didn't do that as a 13-year-old. <laughs> yeah. Rip that gel candle apart. Um, but it was in 1984, there was an underwater explorer. So Barry Clifford, he found the ship's remains of the Wida, and he became the- Wida. F- God damn it. I tried so- I was so sure of myself. <laughs> I'm not going to say it. Sorry. <sighs> the first authenticated pirate shipwreck in North America. He was the explorer of the first one. The thousands of artifacts discovered in the wreck can be seen at the Witta. Pirate Museum in Cape Cod. <laughs> uh, and he's continued, Clifford has continued his search for legendary treasure. In 2016, Clifford's team stated that they discovered a large metal metallic mass off the coast of Wellfleet, Massachusetts, that may contain most or all of the alleged 400,000 coins hidden below the sea. Whoa. Right? Whoa. Yeah. But they still have to deconstruct the mass to verify the verify that claim. That's insane to me that it hasn't already been done. Yeah. It's wild. And I love that like Samuel Bellamy like liberated all those people and then it's unfortunate that they wrecked the ship and then they were all killed. Yeah, he basically uh told the people in power, Fuck you mm-hmm. guys. Ha mm-hmm. And you know, we were talking before we started recording, modern day treasure hunting is still very much a thing. Yeah. And there was a very popular sought-after hidden treasure located not far from where we live in Yellowstone. And if anybody's familiar with it, it's Forrest Fenn's treasure. Yeah, so Forrest Fenn is the name of a person. He was Mm -hmm. an art dealer. And he he hid $2 million worth of literal treasure in the Rocky Mountains. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, just cause. Yeah, and the only way to find it was a map. Yeah, and a poem that was like filled with riddles. Yep, it was a. And I ha, I read through the the poem itself because I like riddles and I like poetry and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's it's one of those. Um, no normal person could figure this out. No, it's shocking that anybody used that as a clue. And hundreds of people tried yeah. to find it. I mean, there's like a Reddit thread. There's mm-hmm. a whole subreddit dedicated to Forrest Fenn's treasure. One of my husband's best friend mm-hmm. came to Idaho from California and spent a week in Yellowstone looking for this treasure. Like he was so sure of where it was. Like yeah. people have died looking for this treasure. And then there was like a whole thing of like, it's not really there. Somebody already found it and never said that they found it until somebody found it in 2020. Yeah. It's, so it, it has been found and it's actually, it's going to auction it was 12 years. Mm-hmm. It took 12 years for somebody to finally find it, and it's going to auction um, 
sometime in the very near future. Yeah, they just posted the auction announcement like a couple of days ago. Yeah. Oh, oh the auction ends December 12th. Oh, oh, we should. We'll share it with this curio corner. Yeah. Wow. Which I wonder, I'm like, did did a collector find it? Like, why? we got to, is it public knowledge? Like, who found the treasure? I got to do some research. I don't know. We got to figure it out. Because, one, like, what was the final thing that, like, tipped them off to know exactly where it was at? And was it in, like, one of those obvious places, like in an escape room, you know? I just oh. want a, a treasure map with an X on it. That's all. That's all you want. <laughs> so, if, uh, so it looks like um, it was found in 2020. Uh, the successful hunter was a medical student named Jack Stuef. S-T-U-E-F. So sorry if I mispronounced that. He reluctantly identified himself uh, that December. Well, I'm I sure, thought, yeah, that'd be I thought that whoever found the chest would be absolutely hated, he said. Uh, I put an end to something that many people so... That meant so much to so many people. Yeah, it was over um, three hundred and fifty thousand. Wow. Does it say where it was found exactly? Because uh, I know that there was lots of suspicion that it was in Yellowstone, and like people had triangulated where this treasure was right. in Yellowstone. Because right. we're landlocked, we don't have pirate treasure here. Unforge, it's man yeah. unforge. Um, well. I'm just from the article I'm looking at, which is on artnet, uh, news.artnet.com is I'm not seeing it on this particular article, but it was, I remember when my husband's friend came up to look for it, mm -hmm. that it was, I was like, I had never heard anything about it and I've lived here my entire life. And he was, and he's a smart son of a bitch. And he was adamant that he knew, like if he could have spent a month here looking for that treasure, I am certain he would have. Yeah. What's what's this person's day job? Um, he works he did work in a like medical facility where they made the compounds for popular medication. Hmm. So he's a drug dealer. Yes. Oh no, he's the cook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mr. White. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's what his job was for a long time and they would make like all the compounds that went into so pharmaceuticals. It just, just became his hobby on the side. Yeah, he's that kind of dude. It's a hell of a ADHD. hobby, treasure hunting. He also is into like um, drift cars, like Subarus, okay, drifting. Yeah. I have a few, Subarus? I have a few of yeah. those friends. Is that a thing? Yeah. Drifting Subarus? Oh, yeah. Rally cars. That's what his mm -hmm. thing. Okay. They had a whole rally racing thing. He's a good dude. I He's guess I'm best. just thinking of my parents' Subaru. He doesn't listen to this podcast, but if you do, hi, Haps. That's his nickname. Hey, dude. Um. Yeah, so that was... Uh, an interesting thing like when it came into my ether and then to come across it again for yeah. this curio corner and that's basically what Josh does it's like a yeah. modern day forest fan like finding mm, yeah, treasure absolutely. and things like that and there's he showed during the interview there was lots of things that we saw that we have posted this week um, on the Google Meet as me and Melissa are like mouths agape like mm. oh my god <laughs> and one of the things he showed was that absolutely gorgeous flintlock pistol mm -hmm. that was one Incredible. of the most beautiful firearms I have ever seen. It's so ornate. Yeah, it looks like a piece of art, like a yeah. like a sculpture. It doesn't look yeah. like a gun. No, and the fact that it's all hand, like hammered silver and gold. Well, yeah, because it's so old. And I loved that he called it the furniture. Like we don't touch the furniture. I loved that. Mm -hmm. Dude. Yeah. So we're just doing a basic description of flintlock. Yeah. From Wikipedia. What does that mean? It is a general term for any firearm that uses a flint striking ignition mechanism. 
Which during the interview, my brain did that thing where it connects the dots. Mm-hmm. And I realized like Flint like makes the spark. And like, yeah. oh, bullshit. My mm-hmm. brain's like, why do we do this? I don't know. <laughs> um, the first appeared in Western Europe in the early 16th century. It may also apply to a particular form of mechanism itself known as the true flintlock. That was introduced in the early 17th century and replaced earlier firearm ignition technologies, such as the match lock. So the progression of these as firearms, we have the flintlock mechanism, but before that was the match lock. Mm -hmm. So match lock or fire lock. It's a historical type of firearm where the gunpowder is ignited by burning a piece of rope. (gasps) Okay. That touched the gunpowder by a mechanism, and that's like muskets. Yeah, that's what I was just going to ask. So it activates by pulling a lever or a trigger with his finger, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like um, in the problematic Disney movie Pocahontas, where they like rip the thing, pour it in, they light the piece of rope on fire. I was thinking um, one of my favorite movies, The Witch, that came out uh, in 2015, I think. There's a very good depiction of that. And it allowed, the good thing about it at the time, it allowed the shooter, the musketeer, to apply the match himself without losing concentration. Mm. So that's where we're starting to get into. Just automating that process. Mm-hmm. And then the wheel lock, okay, is a different pronunciation or different ways of spelling it. There's wheel lock, all is one word, wheel hyphen lock, mm-hmm. or two words, wheel lock. It's a friction wheel mechanism, which creates a spark that causes the firearm to fire. So it's like a gear almost. Ooh. Those were like 1580. So it's a wheel lock pistol or a puffer pistol. Makes a makes a boom. Mm-hmm. And this comes after matchlock. It's the first self-igniting firearm. So you don't yeah. have to light it okay. with anything. It's named from its rotating steel wheel to provide ignition. Developed in Europe around 1500 and was used alongside the matchlock before the snap lock. So this is what comes next. Mm -hmm. It's a type of lock for firing a gun, and it is fired by such a lock. So it's like there's these two hammering mechanisms. One is like a regular trigger pistol that you would pull back. Mm -hmm. Then there's a front piece, and when you fire, they come down together and make a spark. Okay. So it's like two metal pieces smashing into each other to create a spark. Okay. And then you have um, the snap hounce. Snap ounce? Hounce. Hounce. So it's um, S-N-A-P-H-A-U-N-C-E. Okay. It's a firearm lock in which Flint struck against a striker plate. So that's like that, what I just said. It had a striker plate. Like these two pieces came down together. A steel pan ignites a priming powder, which fires the gun. It's the mechanical progression of the wheel lock firing mechanism along with the McQuaylet lock or dog lock, which precedes the flintlock mechanism. So they're all following the same yeah, type of ignition pattern mm-hmm. to fire the propellant. The wheel lock sounds like how a modern Bic lighter works. Kind of similar, yeah. Mm-hmm. So a true flintlock continued to be the common use for over two centuries. Wow. So those other ones that we talked about kind of led up to the flintlock. Mm-hmm. They were replacing each other, and then we stayed with the flintlock. Um, but it was replaced by a percussion cap and then cartridge-based systems that we have now. Mm-hmm. Um, another quick fact about it. So most flintlock firearms were used in elite infantry, like scouts, artillery guards, and private individuals in European armies through most of the 16th and 17th century. 
though matchlocks continued to overwhelmingly outnumber them. So it was like an elitist type gun to own. So that's why pirates had them, because they stole them. And the wealthy, which is why that one was so ornate, is because only a select few had them. Most everybody else had matchlock pistols. I love Mm. that. Yeah. It's a status symbol. Mm -hmm. But by 1630 in Europe, the new flintlock system became really popular and was now used in various forms. Um, So it was continued to use for a really long time. So examples of early flintlock muskets can be seen in the painting Marie de Medici as Bologna by Rubens, which was painted in 1622 to 1625. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were used alongside matchlocks, wheel locks, all the other ones we talked about. The last major European power to standardize the flintlock was the Holy Roman Empire. Mm, makes sense. And uh, in 1702, the emperor instituted a new regulation that all matchlocks were to be converted or scrapped. Yeah, because, you know, uh, you're going to be converting people mm-hmm. at gunpoint. You want to mm-hmm. make sure the gun works. Yeah. And the original, like, true flintlocks were less expensive to manufacture than the earlier flintlocks. So as they're, like, progressing and moving along. But the flintlocks were progressive because they required so many less like factors to work correctly. So they could work in any environment because you didn't have to light a match mm-hmm. to fire your gun. Um, they were twice as fast to reload and they misfired less often. So it changed infantry and battle mm-hmm. tremendously because you're not like, hold on, you know, loading a musket and doing all of that. Um, it sounds like it's uh, as important of an of a development as rifling. Mm-hmm. Very much so. It could output ten times as many shots in an equivalent period of time. Yeah, as the seventeenth century pike and shot formations equipped Whoa. with matchlocks. So it upped the ante and oh, yeah. the the playing field of battle and war. Definitely scared the shit out of mm-hmm. your enemies. I'm sure. Yeah. And I mean, really, when we look at them now as guns, I mean, they seem kind of rudimentary, right? They seem very, you look at guns, modern warfare and guns now. Yeah. And there was paper cartridges that were starting to be introduced. So we're starting to move away from just pouring powder into something with Mm -hmm. bullets and little balls and things like that. Like, And that's where, you know, we get into the Napoleonic Wars and Mm -hmm. then we get into the Civil War when you're really changing battlefield. You're changing the way medics work on a battlefield the money needed to have a war. It's really like industrially. Basically uh, just upped the ability to kill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But they were, I mean, they were complicated to manufacture because of that mechanism. Like a matchlock, you could have rope and light your gun. And then now you have this mechanism that requires a strike plate and all these other things. Yeah. So globally, it was a hard gun to manufacturer. Um, and less developed countries continued to use a matchlock into the 19th century. Huh. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, um, and of course, you know, like the flintlock being a term for a gun, you have other guns that use that same kind of flintlock mechanism mm-hmm. to have a propulsion. I'm so excited for the the YouTube series that he kept speaking about of mm-hmm. yeah. talking about those types of things and getting in touch with his business partner to really do a, like a deep dive on antique firearms and weaponry and well, and to yeah. be able to see it working. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's not the kind of thing most people can just, like, go to their friend's house and say. No. Like, hey, can I look at your flintlock pistol from 17 My grandpa would have shit if I had called him <laughs> and been like, you're never going to guess what I just talked about. But that was one of the earliest things for me that I grew in admiration for with old firearms was that. Like, shooting firearms that 
obviously in a safe and controlled environment, mm-hmm. but shooting different things that, you know, were 60, 70, 80 years older than I was compared to my newer, like, 22 rifle. <laughs> you know, like, the first time I shot a Mauser, like, my grandpa had four or five of them. Mm-hmm. The first time I shot a Mauser, he, like, looked me dead in the eyes, and he goes, this is going to beat the shit out of your shoulder. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And he pulled out this giant bullet for it and loaded it, and it had this, like, the pull to load. Like, what is that? The bolt lever action. Act? Mm-hmm. Bolt. So you pull the bolt back, lock it in, and it had a little bit of resistance, you know, because it's an older mm-hmm. firearm, and it only had iron sights, so it's just mm-hmm. like... That's what I learned to shoot on, is the old style. Yeah. That's, yeah. My grandma's like, you can't progress to anything else unless you know how to shoot on sights. I was like, that sounds like bullshit, but okay. <laughs> it, it, it is. Modern military doesn't yeah. typically train on iron sights anymore. Yeah. Well, you know, these are like... Your grandpa oh. wasn't in the military, was he? Air Force. Oh, that one. Yeah. That one. My other grandpa was in the army. He was a Korean War medic. I think I was taught to shoot from a hunter's perspective. Same. Which we never, my grandpa, they didn't fucking hunt. But it was just that like. Masculinity. Yeah. And so the first time I shot the Mauser, I think we were shooting just like, we would just take out random like trash and stuff to shoot. Yeah. And the power of that gun and the kick that it had, if you were not braced and ready to shoot that gun, Mm -hmm. you would get knocked backwards. And sure, you'd have a bruise. Mm -hmm. And then I'd shoot, like my grandpa had this really fun, like single shot 22. Mm -hmm. That was fun to load. You drop the whole barrel and load the, shut it back up. Break action is what that's called. Thank you. My grandpa would be embarrassed. Don't listen to this podcast, grandpa, and your death, please. (laughs) Bring dishonor to the family. But it was, that's where my appreciation for like firearms in that sense comes from, from a collector's perspective and not mm-hmm. keeping it to like whatever other bullshit. Um, but that was, it's, I would love to shoot a flintlock pistol, like an old antique firearm would be really cool to shoot. It would break my hand, I'm sure. Probably. <laughs> I have horribly weak wrists. Yes. <laughs> Don't put her into battle. I'm a delicate flower. But it was it was such a fun episode. And those were kind of the things as we were working through of like, what do we cover after this for the Curio yeah. Corner? Well, because mm. there are so many things we could have gone over. So many. And I encourage, we did not cover reels specifically because that's your homework for this week. Yeah. Is to go and look up that type of currency. Are we mm. doing that now? Giving our I am, listeners homework? This is demanded. You're on Thanksgiving break. Okay, yeah. Reels and doubloons yeah, yeah reals and doubloons <laughs> and pieces of eight also like looking up what hurricanes how they churn the ocean and what they bring on to mm-hmm. the bank is really what that, are you that's doing? fascinating yeah giving them things to do because i love them and i give my friends homework <laughs> do what i do look shit up <laughs> go down a rabbit hole mm-hmm. hyperfixate uh, reals yeah. because what josh is doing and please Look at his social media pages, whether it be TikTok or Instagram, Redbeard Coins and Commodore Coins. Like, there is so much information he's putting into these reels, these short yeah. videos of just, they're beautifully shot. It shows his great collections. Past what we talked about on the show, it shows his maps. It shows some wonderful book plates that he has of historical, like, sea creatures and different things like that that are printed with copper he makes the information really accessible. Super accessible. It's not doldrum. It's very much you've you've a really great understanding after watching. And this it's one not of them. it's not highbrow. Like he Mm-mm. he does not like gatekeeping any it's of a this. Coin man for the people. Yeah. He's sh- he's sharing all the information that he's mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. he's a fantastic teacher. 
Yeah, it's really wonderful. I've enjoyed the time I've spent looking through his socials. I try not to like too many things like at once because that looks weird. Creeps. Yeah. Uh, But I encourage everybody this week as we take some downtime and learn about things, like Mm -hmm. take a moment to learn some shiz. To learn about pirates because 10-year-old you would have loved this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Have you guys seen, well, you're not on TikTok, but have you seen the reels of like people realizing that they have like the ability to just like throw something at the wall. Mm-hmm. Have you seen those where they're like, you're a grown up and we've learned all these rules to shape mm-hmm. our lives. Mm-hmm. And then you remember like, this is my fucking house. And it'll yeah. be like somebody throwing mashed potatoes at a wall. <laughs> I love I that. I think the most classic example that I can think <laughs> of is just uh, people realizing that I'm an adult now and I can eat ice cream for breakfast. I think that was the first thing that. <laughs> uh-huh. I was like, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, you can. Dude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's been times, especially at Albertsons when I'm checking out and they have like all those desserts right there. Yeah. And I'll be like, after all, why shouldn't I? <laughs> I can I can get that with my grown up money. I can eat this right now. Yeah, right this moment before I drive home. Yeah, in my car. Uh-huh. <laughs> we call it squirreling at my house. Where like I'll get up at like I'll be in bed, and then I'm like, well, I want a little snack. <laughs> And yeah, then I get peckish. up. I'm a little, feel a little peckish. <laughs> and I go, and my pantry door is squeaky. <laughs> and uh, I open, and I'll get a text from my husband, who's usually in the basement, or Gray if he's here. I'll get a text that says like, "What are you doing?" Mike, just making some snacks. Do you want some snacks? <laughs> just get some gummy candy from the gummy candy stash. <laughs> Great, you do that. Yeah. Uh, sometimes oh, uh, there was one night oh, I yeah. made like food at like nine thirty. He was like, what are you doing? He comes upstairs. We're both squirreling. Making a whole meal. And I'm like, I was just going to make this. Do you want some of this? And he's like, fuck yeah, I do. I don't remember what it was. Like noodles or. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, it was like chicken. It was like a General Tso's at 930. And then I got like an hour in and I was like, this recipe said 20 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) uh, If I get a low blood sugar in the middle of the night, depending on how low my blood sugar is, I've been known to make a full dinner mm-hmm. for myself but it's like i'm used to cooking for multiple people so mm-hmm. i make a full multiple people dinner just for me just to for- eat on the floor in my kitchen mm-hmm. as- she did it one time not the full meal no oh, yeah, but there was no. one time we were having heathen home evening and you were staying the night mm-hmm. and you were in bed with me and then i wake <laughs> yes. up to hearing the pantry door squeak and the squirrel noises and so i like look from my bed to the kitchen and i see spell check and i go out she's got her hands up Kind of like a little like chinchilla, like yes. propped, <laughs> yes, like underneath her chin, and she looks up with these like deer eyes, like oh, like she's been caught. And I was like, "Do you have a low blood sugar?" And she's like, "Mm-hmm." So I just start pulling out all the treats that are hidden in various places. Yeah, I was I... just looking for for sugar. So the next time she stayed the night, I just lined the counter with the things she reaches for. <laughs> there was like Skittles and some like zebra cakes and like whatever else sugary was in my pantry. Yeah. There was something with peanut butter. I fucking love peanut oh, butter. Oh yeah, you do love peanut butter. So I just set it all out on the yeah. counter as in preparation of the low bloods. Mhm. You got but- demons in your blood. <laughs> <laughs> but it's I'm looking forward to this week. Merry cranberry. Uh so I hope I don't fuck anything up. For no, dinner. it's going to be awesome. It is going to be delightful. I'm looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. I love it. I love the food. I'm going to be uh, with my family in the mornings mm-hmm. and then in the afternoons coming the other here. family. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very excited. We hope that wherever you are on this day, if you need a little love because you don't have the best relationship with your family, send me a message. Mm-hmm. Yep. Send us to one of us. The whole team will be available. We yep. would love to be your stand-in family. I'll be your mom. For the all the holidays. Your moms are here. Mm-hmm. Well, we can FaceTime you in for dinner. Yeah. You know? 
Mom and dad. Yeah. <laughs> I hope whatever you're doing, you feel wrapped in love. You feel uh, well cared for. You feel fulfilled. And all of those wonderful things we wish upon you every day of the year, but especially the holiday season. Mm -hmm. And I always hope that one, you find some good shit. And two, you remember to find out the story. Don't forget to do your research, kid. Always. Go treasure hunting. Oh. <gasps> Love you. Love you guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.